seated. <laughs> I want to greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and to bring greetings from family and church back home. Uh, last year I was visiting the States and uh, one thing which amazed me is that when we started going out in the States, we were working with older ministers. But I realized I'm not young anymore because when I went back, I was working with younger ministers and I was the old man. <laughs> so, things have changed, praise the Lord. So this time I've been escorted by my wife, Sister Sarah. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with a family of four beautiful girls and uh, we've got seven grandchildren now. So I want to thank God for Brother Eddie who has opened up the door of fellowship again. You know, inviting me here and 
to be with you, to be able to shake Sister Leanne's hand once again, and we really had a very good time of fellowship today with her. Uh, dating back, Brother Ed, when we first come down here, Brother Ed was just some kind of a young man. <laughs> That's 30 many years ago, and uh, I was not any different. <laughs> so, but... <laughs> I want to say that I'm back to my roots. Yeah, because this is where, you know, we began and uh, I picked the confidence to really be a minister from behind this pulpit and I thank God for that. And I'm going to deal with a very simple subject. And uh, in that particular subject, our desire is to remind ourselves of our eternal security. You see, we are eternally secure. Amen. Amen. In Christ, we are sealed till the day of redemption. We may have some hiccups back and forth here and there, a little bit of hard time, but finally, every one of us will make it back home. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we really thank God for his saving grace, and we really thank him for the kind of uh, grace he has uh, given us to do the work, the many years that we have worked with him. And uh, we trust that he's not going to leave us. I remember in the Old Testament when the tabernacle of Moses was reared up. The Bible says that the pillar of fire came and settled on the house and it never left till the morning. And I trust once God allows us to be built into the tabernacle of glory, he's not going to go away until the glorious morning when we take our body change. Amen. Amen. That's our confidence. And uh, I'm just going to deal with a very simple subject. Being a pastor for so many years now, I've had the privilege of uh, wedding couples and then dedicated their children, and then married their children, and also dedicated their children. So it's quite a few years that we've really been working uh, with this message. And uh, you get to a point where you really know that the people, uh, especially the young people, need more grounding than ever before. They really need to know what they are all about when they are in the church. Because some of them come and, you know, they've had all kinds of preaching and, uh, you know, they can explain every doctrine, for example. But the real hold on what Christ means to them sometimes is scarce. So I just want to deal with a simple subject today and I'll follow it up tomorrow. Today, we want to construct the city of refuge. Yeah, that will be our title tonight. And tomorrow, we are going to build the walls. You see, once you have the city, you need the walls. Amen. Let's just stand up and go to the book of Numbers, chapter 35 and verse 6. Before we read, let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father,
We want to appreciate your grace that has gathered us tonight. Yes, Lord. We know this is not the usual program for services in this local assembly. But Father, your people have heard the call and they've gathered together. Amen. Not to meet a man, but Father, to have fellowship with you. I pray, Lord, that as we approach the teaching of the word tonight, graciously, Father, take me out of the way. And that you may use me, Father, in such a simple way, Lord, that we may reach, Father, dear Lord God, even the young among ourselves. You told Peter, feed my sheep. You told Peter to feed the lambs. Amen. Father, at whatsoever level we are, we shall always need you, Father. We shall always need you to remind us of the things that make us what we are tonight. I want to appreciate you, Father, for the ministry that once again you've raised for this pulpit, Lord, that you may bless my brother with a greater and wider understanding of your word, Father, that he may meet the requirement to feed the lamb and to feed the sheep among us. We commit you the service that you may speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are opening up with the scripture of Numbers chapter 35 and verse 6. Constructing the city of refuge. The scripture says, Among the cities which he shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which he shall appoint the manslayer. See, the purpose of the cities of refuge is here defined. It shall be appointed for the manslayer that he may flee thither, and to them ye shall add forty and two cities. If you don't mind, we can just jump a little bit and get to verse 11. He says, Then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. May the Lord add blessing the reading of the word. You may be seated. Now, the cities of refuge were cities where people whose lives were in threat for murders unintended ran to. They didn't just intend to be murderers, but all of a sudden, something has happened. You are out and you are hewing wood and the axe jumps out of the handle and kills a man. God was so gracious that he had to provide cities of refuge for the people who get involved in a murder unawares. So this kind of killing is referred to in the British law as manslaughter, which I think you still use here. A death where 
you know, no man intended to kill, you know. When taken to court, they go through back and forth and they find that the man killed, but it was not his intention to kill. Meaning that man is not a sinner by intention. That's what we want to establish before we go further. I want to draw a parallel where in the creation of humanity, God represented himself and his church by creating Adam and Eve. Okay? So Adam representing God himself and then Eve representing the church. So in the creation, God was identifying himself with these two characters here, you know? Uh, and so Eve comes out of Adam's side. Just as, you know, Christ was at the cross and the Roman soldier came and uh, uh, hit the, you know, spear on his side and out of him flows the water and then the blood to wash out a bride. You see, both come from the sides, amen? So the scriptures also teach that it is not Adam who sinned. I'm picking up just principles upon which we shall build. But it is Eve. But Adam only came in to take his wife's sin in a show of redemption. That's what the scripture says. So when Adam, you know, the, the, the protection of Eve was Adam. In the absence of Adam, you know, Eve interacted with the serpent and what happened, happened. And then Adam knew what had happened and when he came by, amen, you know, he knew what was going to happen to Eve. So Adam decided to say, no, now what I'm going to do, I'll step in and take that sin upon myself. So, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, the scripture says, Adam was not deceived. Now listen here, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Adam was not beguiled. To beguile is to deceive. He was under a full knowledge he had come through theophany. Sometimes it's questioned, but Brother Branham says he came in the image of God himself. So now, I don't know how I'm going to bring this out. I'm still, my mind is running back and forth to gather all information and put it in one lamp and then give it to you. So Adam was not beguiled, but the woman was beguiled, and then she was found in transgression. And the scripture in Genesis 3.13, he says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did it. She just didn't go out and say, well, where is the serpent? I want to get around where he is and uh, I'm going to pick the fruit I'm going to eat. She found herself in a situation and then she says, honestly, it's true. That's what has happened, but the serpent beguiled me. So the scripture calls it beguiling, which means to lure or to seduce 
or to entice. And then Adam steps in and he takes her sin like a Christ steps in and he takes the sin of the church upon himself. Amen. Amen. And so the survival of Eve was the righteousness of Adam just as the survival of the church is the righteousness of Christ himself. Amen. Amen. So he presents his righteousness to cover the sin. And now, you know, that's the way woman was, you know, saved from uh, Brother Branham says she would have died. Of course she died because the wages of sin is death, but it was not instant. Amen? So in any case, we want to say that this woman here did not sin by intention and neither did Adam sin by intention. Amen? The scripture calls it, she was beguiled. So in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world. The scripture says, by one man and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Amen? So when Adam sinned now, this sin wound itself upon his genetic formation. And the rest of the seed that come forth through the lineage were sinners by default. You see? So sin wound itself upon the genetic formation of Adam. And so, all of us are sinners. Brother Branham puts a story and he says, even if a man was born and locked in a house and lived in the house forever and dies without meeting nobody, talking to nobody, he still lives and dies as a sinner. So, we are sinners by default. It's not what we chose. Amen? So, Romans 5.14 Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Look at how sin is starting to move on. He says, from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Amen. So the carrier of the seed caved in, amen, and that was Adam, and took upon himself a genetic formation, a nature that fails, amen. It is a genetic default, as I said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so look at this now where the scripture says the similitude of Adam's transgression, which means it moved from Adam as the scripture says it went to Moses and from Moses to all that never, even at any single time, did nothing. So you are born a sinner, you are raised a sinner, you are born telling lies, you came to the world, you know, in a form and uh, engulfed in a form of darkness. 
Amen? You need the light. And once that light shines, it's the light that shines away the darkness and the guilt of sin so that the gene of God that you are may be able to go and have communion with God. Amen. So he says here, death reigned. So sin, as we've seen, reigned because Adam had no power to rid himself of that sin. And yet he was the figure of him that was to come. So when Adam sinned, he didn't like what he did, but he moved in to redeem. And indeed, he was able to take the wife's sin upon himself. So when the Bible speaks, it says the sin of Adam, because he took it upon himself. Just like a Christ comes to take the place. Now, Christ comes and he takes the place of Adam. Listen now. Where Adam failed, because when he took the sin, he had no way of taking that sin away from himself. So Christ now comes to do what Adam failed to do. Because the wages of sin is death. And there is no way Adam would enter into a state of sin, I mean of death, with sin and rise again. But Christ had the ability to take the sin and then go into death and come back to life again. So he became the foundation of a new race. He qualified to be a kinsman. He came into the same format of body where Adam had sinned from. So he took that same body, a body that could suck in sin. And that day on Calvary, Every nature of sin upon man was sucked into the body of Christ. That day he was a smoker, he was a drunkard, he was a murderer. He was everything there is that is called sin. Right there. And now we see that even the heavens were ashamed of watching him in that condition. They shut away. But then, when he died, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, he died in the flesh, but went to hell in the spirit. Are you together with me? He was carrying all the sin that had come upon him that he had taken on behalf of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when he got down there, he said, Satan, this one here is not what my people are. This belongs to you. My seed is eternal information. 
They've never been, you know, the kind that could be held permanently by sin. What man got involved with is just he got lost, he got beguiled, he got lured, he got deceived. But the nature is not the nature of death. So now he gives Satan his sin and Jesus raises up again. He that turns death into life came back with life to give it to us. So our perfection is uh, the gene of Christ itself coming upon us to bring the new birth. Praise the Lord. So the scripture here, if I can step back a little bit, he says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also took of the same, amen, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that's the devil. So he came and took all the power that brings death into himself, just like Adam did, and took the sin of Eve upon himself, and then he failed to redeem himself out of the condition, Jesus came and took it upon himself, but he had the ability of redeeming himself out of the condition. So Jesus came under the same pattern, and that's why the Bible calls him the second Adam. He takes sin upon himself, And then he gives it back to the devil. And then in Christ, we become perfect. Amen. Amen. Our perfection is the very gene of Christ in you. God performs a genetic mutation in the new birth. You become a new creature. He takes away that area where Eve was beguiled, and he replaces it with himself. He becomes our righteousness. He becomes our, uh, our mind, and that's why Paul says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He changes our thinking. The scripture calls it a new birth. The Bible calls it a, a a new creature, you are not what you were during the time of the fall. God starts to do a new work in you. So, now, Romans chapter 5, verse 15, he says, but not as the offense, this is where it is now, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So the other one, his offense brought death, 
and brought death upon all, but this one here, when he died, amen, his justification justifies as many as believe. Okay? So the seed germ in the new birth, therefore, is Christ himself. When the serpent came, he planted death in the human race. And when Jesus comes, he takes away that element of death from the seed gene, from the children of God. He plucks out that nature and throws it out and replaces it with his own nature. Because in the creation of Adam, Adam himself was uh, a part of God. And actually in the creation, he represented what God was. And Eve represented the church that had the ability to fall, but then had the advantage to have a redeemer. Are you together with me? So now, even in this case here, we find that the life of God was represented in Adam. And that's now the life which Adam fell from. He fell from that glory. He fell from that status. He became a carnal man. That needed redemption. He was carnal, and therefore anything that came would pass by. He would end up in any form of transgression. That's why nature, man, has fallen. He can do anything. He can go to the bar. He can go to the nightclub. He can do all kinds of things because if he has not found the Redeemer, which is Christ, he cannot save himself. He cannot rectify that condition. It doesn't matter whether we've been born in a family of believers. That power of sin still holds on you because God does not have grandchildren. Every one of us must meet Christ personally. And declare yourself that, yes, I'm a sinner personally. You must take... Uh, what I said, the, uh, you must take uh, uh, responsibility. Amen? That honestly I'm a sinner, not by choice. But this nature of sin passed over to me by genetic information through the lineage of Adam. So I am fallen. There is nothing good in me. You need to come before Christ in a pleading nature and you are asking for the new birth. You don't come down and you start defending yourself. I did this because brother so and so. I did this because sister so and so. That's how the fall was in the garden. Adam, where are you? The woman you gave me. And then the woman, the serpent beguiled me. But actually in the new birth, we take a personal responsibility. That indeed I'm a sinner, I fell. My birth by my mother is not enough to open a kingdom door for me. Praise the Lord. You see, you just come and you are so honest and you are so sincere. So that God can take away that gene of sin 
and totally separate it from you. Separate that nature. Separate those desires. Separate all this kind of stuff. And now a new life begins to emerge, which we call the new birth. Because in John chapter 3, uh, here is Nicodemus. He goes to Christ by night and he wants to be born again. Jesus tells him unless a man is born again, he cannot see. And there is no birth which comes without a life. And then he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter. So two things happen in the fall. That man, you know, ended up being blind to the kingdom of God. He cannot see. Man ended up outside of the kingdom. He wants to enter. So every one of us is found in that same condition. It doesn't matter how many you know, times we come to church and how many may be uh, books of the message we study, there must be one requirement to every one of us. You must be born again. Amen. You see, because the birth or the creation that God had given to Adam was actually the life of God himself. Let us make man in our image. So this one here is God. But in the making of Adam, he takes a piece of himself. So Adam was nature of God's nature. That's where he fell from. He fell from a nature. He fell from a character. He fell from a personality. And the restoration is to take us back into that same image now. So that's why Paul in Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, now in the new birth, the life of Christ comes back. He says, when Christ, who is our life, right now, he becomes our life. He says, when he shall appear, then shall he appear with him in glory. Okay. So, we are refilled together with him. That's what the Bible says now. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear then shall he also appear with him in glory. So we are revealed together with him because he's our life. You know, we are revealed together with him even in the revealing of the seventh seal which is Christ being revealed. When the seventh seal breaks, he says, I will call you bride. We are identified with him. Actually, the seventh seal is Christ himself 
coming to identify his own bride in his coming. He comes down with a message to call her out to give her a new life. So this message here is not just a teaching. This message here is a bath to realize who we are. Brother Branham says when God's spirit waters the seed of God, the word of God, it produces God. Okay? And it's not the individual, it's God. So this message of the hour is intended to push away the darkness that had surrounded the seed gene so that the nature of God himself can show forth. Amen. Amen. He says, you are not yourself no more. You reckon yourself dead, hollowed out, waiting for seed germ. Then what is it? It isn't you no more. Isn't the man. It's God in the man. It's the seed germ. Like the beginning, spoken word is God's word made manifest in the man. That's what God is trying to do, to restore that original character. So that once again, we can be flesh of his flesh, born of his born, life of his life. Power of his power. And as the prophet says, she is him. He's picking her up back and putting her back into the original condition. So as man and woman are, and woman taken from his side, she had taken a spirit, the feminine spirit from him. Okay? Now, this is what God is trying to restore back to us. In teaching, it had separated from us. In teaching, we see that it becomes that word body that we are growing into. In teaching, we see Paul is calling it the robe which we are going to be uh, dressed with. He says, I'm not seeking to be undressed, but dressed with. He calls it a body. Amen. So this is what God is desiring to do, to restore that character, to restore that nature. And the new birth is intended to help us reconnect with the character that we lost. Because the scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of that glory. But now, when the new birth comes down, it's nothing but the life of God himself restoring itself. Beginning to communicate, to talk to you and me. Amen? Because Paul, when he's teaching, he says, for it is God which worketh in you. Now, the life comes back, reconnects, but then You know, it's an influence. You know, like when John, um, the seals were revealed to him, Brother Branham uses the statement that John was able to see John. He heard from his Theophany. 
he had an influence. You are no longer influenced from the other realm. You are now influenced from the heavenly realm. And then you begin to feel like you should live right. You begin to feel like, oh, I need to come to church. You begin to feel like, oh, I should uh, uh, study the word. You start feeling like I shouldn't act like this. I shouldn't act like that. You are growing towards that original glory that you had lost. Amen. Amen. So Christ is the life on the inside of a victorious Christian. Amen. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Praise God. So as established, man is a sinner by representation and not by intention. And that's why Christ is our city of refuge. In him we are freed from the captivity of sin. Amen? Because you didn't intend to murder, you didn't intend to kill, you didn't intend to be what you are, you are just a captive. Your nature was captured. You didn't intend to be like that. But then Christ himself begins to build a city of refuge for you. Every day minister stands out to minister, he reminds the people that we have a city of refuge. We've got a place we can flee to and be free from this condition. We can flee into his presence and we can be saved forever. Praise the Lord. And it is in the duty of every minister to continue reconstructing this city from different approaches until the people catch that door. He comes from this angle. He comes from that angle. He comes from the other angle. And we all don't catch that door the same day. Another one will catch that door and life begins to change. And another one, God will help him to touch that door from another angle. So the ministers come down here. This one passes the other side. The other one passes the other side. And the purpose is trying to open the door for you. Amen. Because you are not what you want to be yet. Like that lady says, I thank God that I'm not what I used to be, but though I'm not what I yet want to be. You know, you are looking, you are seeking, you are finding, you are trying to say, Lord, show me the door. I don't want to be what I am. I say when people come to church, they come because there is something on the inside which is calling them to be better. Nobody comes to church to be a bad person. But somehow you find there is a condition that besets you. And then you are praying, and then you are crying, and then you are asking God, won't you get me out of this condition? And then a minister comes and preaches, and then boom, you catch it. And then you start saying, oh God, I thank you. You've been so gracious to me. 14 years I've been in church. I've never got this kind of victory. Different people catch the door at different ways, different dimensions. But once they do, that is their city of refuge. Amen. You know, we are all sanctified, you know, because the city of refuge down here is uh, 
to take us in and uh, store the five wise virgins in there so that they can be safe to the coming of the Lord. Yeah, because the city of refuge was safety. The city of refuge was security. Once you were inside there, you were not supposed to get out. That was their eternal security. As long as they were inside their brother, no man was allowed to cross the gate to go and pick them out. So the whole thing is that, uh, you know, we get justified and we are sanctified. We thank God for that. But that's not all. You know, we must be able to catch that door. And Brother Branham says, we catch that door by the wisdom of revelation. And then he says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So to catch that door is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And the moment you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you are inside. You are in the city of refuge. You are eternally secure. No man can reach you and touch you. Amen. Brother Branham, in the message, Queen of Sheba, he says, Oh, sinner friend, you in this little auditorium tonight, let me warn you, flee from the wrath that is to come. There's only one hiding place. I'm glad that God made a city of refuge. Christ Jesus, we can run in and are safe. You run in there. By the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as long as you are in there, you are safe. The pursuer cannot break that seal. Right. Amen. Amen. So, Numbers 35.15, uh, where we read, it says, There will be six uh, uh, cities of refuge, which were going to be given to the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that kills any person unawares may flee there. Amen. Meaning is not a sinner by intention. He's a sinner by a genetic trait of the sin of Adam. So now, when he realizes that I am a sinner, I'm not living right. I'm under captivity of certain harmonism. I'm an addict to this. I'm an addict to that. You must run very fast and try to find that door and hide inside there. And the prophet tells us that city of refuge is the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you are in there, you are eternally secure. So, Man is not judged because he's a sinner, but he's judged because he refuses to enter into the city of refuge, which God has put there for people. You know, the law says, you don't run there, you'll be killed. So we need our young people to recognize the condition they are in. And know that the condition I'm in is very pathetic. I've been coming to church for the last 15 years. 
but I've not been able to overcome. Father, give me the grace that I may rush into the city of refuge before the pursuer catches me. Amen. Amen. So, now, number 3526, he says, but if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whether he has fled and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenge of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of the blood, because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until his, the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. He says, this man here is going to be hunted down by the slayer. Once he gets on the inside there, he must make sure that he does not come out. You must be sealed in Christ. It's a total eternal security. So once you are in there, don't even come near the door. Because once you step out and the pursuer catches you and he kills you, he will not be guilty of the blood. We must stay away from the devil as far as possible. Just to stay in Christ, stay in your prayer, stay in your study, stay in fellowship with one another. Inside the wall, let us continue asking God that Heavenly Father, don't allow the same mistake that caused me this harm to come after me in the city. You are looking for security. And once in the city of refuge, we should not seek to leave. That city is our eternal security. Don't drop back in prayer. Don't drop back in study. Don't drop back in fellowship. Find yourself active in the field of the Lord. If you can testify, testify. At your place of work at school, you are trying to make sure that you are doing everything to remain within the city. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Listen here. The prophet says, look, by one spirit we are all baptized into one body and become members of this body. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, that walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And a man that's in Christ Jesus walks after spiritual things. To the world, it's carnal mind, it's foolishness. But to them that believe, it's everlasting life. There you are, oh marvelous, then what can harm you? You are in Christ, and just as sure as God raised Jesus from the dead, will come in Christ. Yeah. Amen. Yes, we've got to. God's done promised it. For just as sure as that body goes up, I'm in that body. I have got to go with it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You see, you get sealed in there. 
Day and night you are in there. If that body has to go, you go up with it. You are sealed till the day of your redemption. Amen. See, you believe in eternal security then. Brother Branham, in one way I do. I believe that the church is eternally secure. The church is. God's already said it would appear before him without spot or wrinkle. The church will. Now the next thing, if you are in the church, then you are secured if you are in the church. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Just to find a city of refuge and find comfort in there. We need to abide in Christ so that we could constantly bear the fruit of that city. Amen? We have identified the city of refuge as one being in Christ. And therefore, abiding in that city of refuge is abiding in Christ. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear is, I mean, fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye accept ye abide in me. You just get grafted in there. You are held by the vine. You are fed by the vine. And the fruit you bear, the fruit of that city is the fruit of the vine. So seek to abide and be ye fruitful, bringing forth the fruit of that city. The avenger waiteth at the door with vengeance, but security is guaranteed as long as you are in Christ. Every morning you wake up, you thank God. You say, Father, I thank you because the door to the city is guarded by you. There is no man that can open this door. Amen. So grace could only be found in the city of refuge. If we are in that city, we have passed from death to life. Amen. Not you will, but you have, because the avenger cannot cross the bloodline to come into that city. Amen. So Brother Branham says the man must want to stay in the refuge. He can't go in there complaining. He must want to stay. No complaining about it. Outside he dies. Inside he's safe. You cannot stay in that city with a complaint. You complain about this brother. You complain about the other sister. This family against the other family. And this one against the pastor. He say you cannot stay in that city complaining. In that city, we are brethren. We are guilty of the same thing. If we upset one another in there, there is no more redemption. So don't get involved in dirty fights in the city. You will not be worthy of the city then. You see? But that, like, you know, Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Yeah. A quietness in the church. A church without clans and camps and fights. That's right. 
We have found a place of refuge. We are all guilty of the same thing. It's just the grace of God that has brought us this far. What good is with me? If I was not a drug addict, I was a drunkard. We are both guilty of the same thing, and the judgment is the same. Amen? So don't murmur in your service to Christ. It is Christ at your job and business. Amen? It is Christ in your family. You know what to do because you are in a city of refuge. Every morning you start saying, Lord, I thank you how you saved me from the pursuer. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Verse 15, he says, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as light in the world. Let Christ in you be the difference between you and the world. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yeah, verse 16, it says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Be an encouragement to one another. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You see, I like Adam, the Redeemer. He does not go around and begin to blame Eve. He said, is that the judgment? Let me take it. I love the Lord. He didn't blame me for me being a sinner. Christ loved me even when I was in darkness. That's why he stretched his hand to call me out. Then who am I to start pointing at my brother, clamoring and complaining and fighting and drawing clans against the ministry, clans against this and against the other? He says there must be quietness in that city. So let us look at how God has been constructing for us the different approaches of Christ, the city of refuge. Right from way in the Old Testament, all this, you know, was pointing to Christ, the city of refuge. Christ, the lamb in the garden. You see, the first garden, I mean, the, the first one happens in the garden of Eden. Christ representing himself as the perfect lamb of God. And this shed blood gave Adam and Eve a cover of pardon until Calvary came. Amen? When the blood came and flowed way back, praise the Lord. Because at Calvary, the blood of Christ, when it poured, it first of all flowed backwards to rescue Adam, Eve, Abel, Seth. Enos, all of them, and pulled them out on the resurrection morning. Amen. And then the same blood started flowing our way, and it flowed on the seven altars of the seven church ages. 
Ephesus, Semina, Pergamos. You know, the blood has always been there waiting for the redeemed. Amen? So God had built Adam and Eve a city of refuge. Amen? Praise God. Yes, sir. Genesis 3.21. He says unto Adam, also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. So the coats of skin could only come from a dead animal. And most possibly the lamb that represented Christ. The city of refuge in the Garden of Eden. Christ was represented by a slain lamb. Amen. So God had built that kind of a, a city of refuge. And if God performed the exploits of redemption under the blood of bulls and goats, how much more can he for, do for us? Amen. Who have got the actual life behind the blood. Here back and forth, he was always building cities of refuge. In shadows, pointing to Christ, who is our eternal city. Amen. So, look at Christ in the Passover. Amen. He again presented as the Passover lamb, and his shed blood was the token for the exodus. That was also a city of refuge where the children of Israel ran behind the token and they were safe. The pursuer, the death angel could not touch them. Are you together with me? So in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Amen? So when they took the blood of the perfect lamb and placed it on the door steps, amen, uh, on the door frames, praise the Lord, it was eternal security against the pursuers. Amen? The death angel wouldn't enter there and under the blood of Christ, there is a new beginning and eternal security. He says that the day they were going to apply the blood, it was going to be the first day. It was a newness of year again. It was a new beginning. And in there, they were safe. We thank God for the newness of life in Christ. And in there, we are safe. We are born again. We are a new beginning. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Park out. Therefore, the old living, that ye may be a new lamp, as you are unliving. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Amen. Amen. You see, that's now Christ representing himself as the Passover to the children of Israel. He says, even now, that shadow there, today we have got Christ our Passover. 
In the Old Testament, towards the chemistry, in the New Testament, we've got the life of it. Amen. Amen. Still, we can see different images of the, uh, you know, uh, city of refuge. As I said, that every minister will try his level best to present different projections of the city. Amen. Amen. Maybe when he presents it this way, the door is a bit obscure to another man there. He'll bring it from this other angle again. And this is what God has been doing through the ages. Bringing this projection of the city of refuge so that the people can catch the wisdom of revelation and say, now I see. Amen. Amen. So even then, we could see Christ in the Feast of Atonement. Amen. He presented as the perfect sacrifice that was waved together with living loaves. Amen. Amen. In the, I mean, in the Feast of Pentecost. You know, this is one thing that is actually amazing. Because when you look at the Feast of Pentecost, it's the only feast that had lived in the Old Testament. But God in his goodness, he had to create a city of refuge around it. He said, you'll wave it together with the sacrifice and it will be holy. And it was pointing to the New Testament church. There was nothing good about us. For three years, Jesus told his disciples and told them, I'm going to raise again. And none of them could even understand what he was talking about. Even when he died and rose again, they were on their way to a mouse. They were wondering whether he had raised and in the book of Mark, he just comes and blames them for their unbelief. But at the same time, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Yeah. He's giving them a city of refuge. Yeah. They are living crop. Yeah. But the type of it in the Old Testament is that when it was waved together with the sacrifice, it was accepted and it was holy. Yeah. And we thank God tonight. Because we are being waved together with the sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, our city of refuge. So, in the New Testament, we saw him presenting himself as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A city of refuge. As the sinner entered into that city, he needed to confess before you could enter that city. And sincere confession opened the door. I do not know how many of us ever confess for being sinners and desiring that the doorman opens the gate of the city. How many of us have come in based on the principle that when the pursuer was chasing you, if you saw the door over there, you would start explaining the circumstances why the seat of refuge should be opened for you. 
And then you saw we had gone maybe to the well to fetch water. And then when I was carrying the pot, then I fell on the other side. And then my brother stumbled on me and fell into the river. And then he drowned. You are confessing. But today, the people don't take that to get the door of mercy open. I read the seven church age book and then I'm part of it. I read the seal book and then I'm part of it. We really need to worship that indeed I was born in sin. I need a redeemer to renew me and give me a newness of life. Praise the Lord. So that's why he says in 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I know we say, oh, now, Brother Stephen, sin is not these works. Sin is unbelief in God's word. Yes, it is. But after you believed God's word, have you recounted this kind of life we used to live? Have we asked God, can you open the door of the city of refuge? So through the perfect lamb, we become members of the city and we become of the divine tabernacle, a house of God, the body of Christ, which is our city of refuge. Amen? So the opening of the seals, as I'm trying to wind up here, was the revelation of Calvary. And it helped John to be sure he was safe in the city of refuge. You know, John had been around with Christ for three and a half years. And then on top of that, he was a minister for several other years, even after the departure of Christ. But then he comes down to this challenge here. When he was on the island of Patmos, he was summoned by the master, come up hither. And when he went up there, he saw the thrones were set and the books were opened. And then John knew he was standing before a judge. John began to tremble. Back he knew he had done no sin. He knew he was not guilty in anything. He was just like you. He had not smoked a cigarette. But one thing is he lacked the revelation of Christ at that level. The revelation which he had was in his first epistle. That which we touched, that which we saw, that which we ate with on a physical rim. But then when he meets him this time, John says, I could not be able to stand. I fell down as though I was dead. 
This is a different now revelation of this Christ. And this is the one that we are talking about tonight. It's not the coming to church, but the revelation of that level that Christ honestly has been revealed to me beyond a physical realm. That's what Paul was also involved with. And he says that henceforth know we know one another after the flesh. He says, and even if we had known Christ after the flesh, we know him no more that way. You see, we need to be citizens of the city of refuge. We need to know who we are in this city. Because in Revelation, John is now being introduced to this city, the city of refuge. (laughs) And then he's out there. John is beginning to panic. He needed to fix a few things before he could really be sure he's part of that city. (laughs) Praise the Lord. He needed to fix a few things. John, come up hither. And John went up hither. And he saw the thrones were set. And John began to look back. He was not sure that he was part of the city of refuge. And when it was asked, who can... Take the book, open the book, and lose the seals thereof. And no man was found worthy. John says, my, who can be worthy then? And yet, as it were, it's only for those whose names were in the Lamb's book of life that they would be able to enter into the city of refuge. So John begins to weep. John could step, you know, he was standing before the throne. (laughs) And he begins to weep because nobody was found worthy. But as he was there, the voice that spoke him to him way back in Revelation 1 spoke to him again. Weep not, John, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has been found worthy to take the book and to lose the seals. In any case, and open the gates of the city so that, John, you can confidently walk in. So as he was there, he wonders the lion. When he turns like that, he had turned, he had changed the dimension from a judge to an advocate. And then John, all of a sudden, he saw the lamb bleeding. Spring blood. 
Then John knew this is the opening into the city. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everybody must have a personal revelation of the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Every one of us must have a testimony that I have seen the Lamb of God. He has been revealed to me. You do not know Christ after the flesh no more. You've got the revelation of that Logos. The way Paul met him is revealed to you. You may not really see him with your physical eyes, but deep down there, there must be a witness that you have been in contact with God. And he says, even we ourselves, we do not know one another after the flesh. God wants us to have a soul-to-soul fellowship. A gene-to-gene fellowship. Not bringing these bodies here to church, but the inner man. Where David would say was happy when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. But when he gets there, he says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I don't just want to bring my physical presence. So once we come right from the gene on the inside to connect back to the gene that we came from, then together we make the body of Christ. And the members in particular. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So John then could step out before the throne. That was John's security now. Amen. John was standing before the four guards. He could come in not anymore into judgment. Because he has the revelation of life himself. The gate opened for him. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And John down 5 verse 24 here, as I'm finishing. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and abideth and believeth on him that sent me has eternal life and shall not come to condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Present Continuous. He that heareth my word hath eternal life. He's saying there is no way you can hear the word and receive it unless you had eternal life. He has eternal life if you hear the word and abide in it. That means you are in the city of refuge and you are not going to wander. But he that heareth. Amen. Which is a present continuous. You are before his presence day in, day out. 
He says, very, very, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Hear ye the voice and live. It's like a John, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Praise the Lord. The city of refuge. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You see, it's not just a matter of being part of church. You must connect. And say, Lord, I've always had eternal life. I hear by the word. Amen? So, as I finish here, I just want to remind you about... uh, uh, the scripture of Romans chapter 10 verse 17. That faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. And to hear by the word I'm not saying hearing from the word, but hearing by the word, which means that the word, which is the seed gene in you, has been quickened. And that's what you bring to church. And that's what hears the word. And then you start forming perfect faith. And then you are comfortable in the city. You are not going to say to back home when service is on. You are saying, I must be in church. You are taking your seed gene to hear from God. He that has an ear. And you come down here, you are thanking God, you are praising God, saying, Father, I thank you for the word. Father, I thank you. He that heareth, present continuous, I don't want to get out of that city. I want to be permanently in there. And you keep watching your perimeters. Praise the Lord. Peradventure, you can jump the border. (laughs) God be gracious to us. And be sure we've constructed the cities of refuge. That we are in Christ. Not that somebody has told you you are in Christ, but you have a revelation like a John that I have seen my name in the Lamb's book of life. That I have seen the judge become an attorney and he has taken my sin. And Brother Branham says, he could see that lamp walk back from eternity. And he says he was shaking blood. Can we see him shake blood tonight? Upon us? Spraying blood? He walks in his own city. We are sealed in there. 
We are born again. We are eternally secure. God bless you. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. The city of refuge. Being the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has been the security from ages, right from the Garden of Eden, presenting himself in shadows. But today, he has come. And he has opened a door. I in you, and you in me. He has sealed us, not till the next revival, but till the day of redemption. Let it be your joy that you don't wander through the gate again. And if you are not sure you've entered that gate, run very fast. As you approach the gate, you are confessing. Father, the pursuer, he has attempted your life. Back and forth, he took you back in a few things. The master saved you from the situation. Knowing that tonight, you are going to run and enter through that door and be sealed permanently till the day of your redemption. Let us pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for the grace of God that you have given to us. Knowing that man never desired to be what he is. He is a sinner by representation. But God, who is rich in mercy, ordained that there will be cities of refuge that declared the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That will be our city of refuge. Father, I just pray that your goodness, love, and mercy. Father, may you touch your children in a special way. I know there is no man Father, who chooses to come to church when is not desirous of becoming a victor. Many of your children, Father, are already in the city. I pray that you may give them the calmness that goes with being in that city. I pray, Father, dear Lord God, that perfect love may, Father, dear Lord God, bond your children that if there is any father that wobbles in the walk, 
Help us, Heavenly Father, to show mercy to one another. Father, that we may help one another within that city. You said by this shall the people know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. We thank you, Heavenly Father. And I pray, Lord, that you may give grace to my brother, the pastor of this assembly, Heavenly Father. You've given him the responsibility to be the shepherd of the flock. And the shepherd is the door of protection. Help him, Heavenly Father, that as he ministers the word, it may keep the people desiring to stay in the city, to love the city more and more, and to identify themselves with the life of the city. I pray, Father, that as we are in this city of refuge, help us that we may bear the fruit of that city. I've committed your children into your hands, Father, that your grace may constantly prevail. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. So glad you're.